0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Is This Normal? I'm your host, Dr. Jackie Eisler. I'm an adult health clinical nurse specialist and assistant professor at the College of Nursing at Michigan State University. And with me is my co-host...
1: Dr. Patrick Crane. I'm an adult gerontology nurse practitioner and also an assistant professor here at the MSU College of Nursing.
0: When COVID started happening, we were just hungry for information, just scouring, you know... Unfortunately, it was Google. Unfortunately, it was, you know, what our librarian would say, great mm-hmm. literature, because they can't really, there's not a whole lot of peer review, but people wanted information.
1: Yeah, and it was getting dumped quickly, um, so much so that I had a RSS feed set up on my browser for articles coming in, and they were coming in in real time as far as publications. Wow. It wow. was an incredible
0: rate of waterfall yeah say
1: you went from hungry for information to all of a sudden um, there was quick links in academic journals to COVID info Um, but it was a lot of preliminary data Mm -hmm. right
0: Mm -hmm. it was and now that we're two years out so we do have peer-reviewed actual research that we can see I mean because initially People were thinking that COVID, you know, it's just some people thought it was just, you know, it's just a more extreme flu, but mm-hmm. everybody will be fine. It's a respiratory disease. But now we're actually finding out that it wasn't just respiratory.
1: Right, right. That, uh, you know, we, we are learning more and more every day about long haul COVID um, and what, the the repercussions are and and the reality is we still don't know long-term repercussions right we're Yeah we're it's still, only been 2 years. Yeah, we don't know if some of these things happen for a lifetime if um what the, the we're starting to learn more and more about some things like um recently vitamin D being linked to long haul covid so stuff like that's popping up every time mm-hmm. so we're still learning but we are starting to see some hard data as far as mm-hmm. you know mortality and uh, getting reports on different strains and what that means.
0: Absolutely. And then just reading too about the, you know, some of the, I guess, the psychological symptoms of long haul COVID and really, you know, I'm just trying to really understand, was it the lockdowns? Was it because we live in Michigan? Is it really a completely separate thing? So um, I'm really excited that our next Our next guest will um, share her research on on COVID.
1: Yeah, this is somebody who has been embedded deep in it since the beginning. So I'm very excited for this episode.
0: Dr. Wu is an associate professor at MSU College of Nursing. Her research focuses on symptom management oncology. Her search has advanced knowledge in symptomology of fatigue and sleep disturbances in cancer. In addition to her focus on these two highly prevalent and related symptoms, she is also interested in other cancer-associated symptoms, such as depressive mood, cognitive dysfunction, taste and smell changes. Her current work focuses on developing and testing circadian-based interventions to manage common symptoms in the oncology population. Recently, she expands her research by studying long COVID-19 symptoms. The goal is to advance the knowledge and understanding long COVID symptoms and develop a cost-effective strategy to help manage the long-lasting symptoms among the COVID-19
1: survivors. Dr. Wu, thank you for joining us. So, Dr. Wu, you've been busy these last two years working on your research regarding long-haul COVID patients and symptoms. Can you tell us a little bit about why and how you got started?
2: At the beginning of the pandemic, I noticed there's a lot of information coming from social media. Like, I think it's probably social media, not newspaper. Yes, some newspaper are talking about COVID symptoms. As a researcher, symptom researcher, I noticed those symptoms, first of all, it's very similar to the symptom we are dealing with, it's happening in uh, oncology patients, cancer patients. And second of all, I start wondering how do they get the information? How do they say, for example, um, I don't know, well, it it that fatigue, of course, is the top one. So I started looking at some of the scientific report, and at that time, the symptom, even CDC, is really basing on the, patient registry, like you know the Inhan County, for example, they have their COVID registry. So we contacted the Inhan County department to find out how do they determine those are the symptoms. It turned out it's predetermined. So I don't know how do they predetermine, Maybe it's based on the CDC the, lo- the list. But by the way, at that time, the the list of the symptoms on CDC website is changing as well. So what I found is they did a checklist. For example, if you have fatigue, you have sleep disturbance, you have depression, they check, check, check. But they never really get the input from those who got COVID. Maybe I think you have this. And what I think you have is different from who you really have. And that is the reason why we started this study. I feel like we are the symptom scientists. We're probably at the best position than anybody else, Facebook or, you know, the other social media, you can name it, to study this and to find a systematic way to provide the information to the public. And that is how we started. We, meaning it's not only me, there's other... Uh, symptom scientists in the team as well. So we have a very systematic, very thorough protocol. Basing on our previous experience of study symptom in cancer patient, we have a long list. We have 26 symptoms in our symptom inventory to screen who has this, whether they have this, they don't have that. In addition, we also try to find out the severity and interference because whether you have that or not, the most important thing is if it is bothering you or not. So that is from our, you know, research perspective. So we have that. And and we are hoping, and of course we have other information because, you know, vaccination is one, but at that time our focus is, again, this this is a moving target just because of the developing the science. We... Got a vaccination status just because we are curious about why they people are not interested in the vaccination va- vaccination. But it turned out later on this is becoming the key for a lot of things, the long-lasting symptoms and other things. And also, when we started the study, there's no booster, but now we have the booster. So we have to add a question regarding the booster. The science is changing. Mm-hmm. The information is changing. All the time. Whether even in my study, I can tell you example is before December well, before the holiday, we did some preliminary analysis on the data we have, and I think we have done a good job in terms of collecting data. The finding is a little bit different from the analysis we did last week. Why? Because we have more participants now, although it's within the study. But the information changed, so I think it's a nature. It's not like anybody's fault. I think it's just the process.
0: I Agree, it is. I mean, that's that's what science is. It that science is only good until you find something else to disprove it, and that's that's the process. So. So we understand and you've been sharing your research so far with long COVID symptoms. Um, Can you share what else um, you found so far? So I haven't really
2: shared what we have found so far. That is the most exciting part for conducting research. You have the information. We should make
1: that part two to have a cliffhanger.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So we actually, um, we did analysis, last week, is prelim- our second uh, preliminary analysis based on 122 patients. So I have to say 122 is not too big, but it's not small, too small. So, and also, like I said before, Christmas we did another, uh, did the first preliminary analysis. I have to see, based on those two preliminary analysis, we see the patterns. So first of all, Probably is key. talking about vaccination. We did have the data on that. So seventy five percent of our study participants, they were fully vaccinated when they entered the study. So, so
0: is the participants here in Ingham County or nationally? Or so we
2: recruit patients from Sparrow COVID registry. Okay. So those are very local people. So seventy five percent, I think is. Probably pretty good, yes. Mm -hmm. And what we found, some probably is not going to be surprising to you. So the top five symptoms is fatigue, pain, sleep disturbance, difficulty remembering, depression, and short of breath. Okay, those are not surprising symptoms. But one thing I want to mention to you is those patients, on average, Is nine months out of the acute infection. So, okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a long-term effect of COVID for sure. How many patients still have the long COVID? In our study, it's 66%. So think about that. 66% who were infected by COVID about nine months ago they're still experiencing some symptoms, COVID-related symptoms. On average, each patient reports about five symptoms at the same time. So it's not only fatigue or it's not only foggy thought, it's all together. Mm-hmm. Okay? So those are not really surprising findings. What surprised me the most is the mm-hmm. severity of the symptoms. We use the same inventory, study oncology patients who are, were undergoing chemo before. The severity is not as severe as uh, COVID symptom a COVID patient who ex- they still have the long COVID.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah, so I can give you an example. On the scale 1 to 9, 9 is being the worst, on average, the Fatigue, they experience is 6.6. Pain is 6.4. And difficulty, remember, is 6.3. So think about that one to nine. From the symptom perspective, those are at this moderate severity. So think about somebody are experiencing five symptoms. They are moderate severe on their life, like after nine months. They're still experiencing those. I have to say, it's a big issue. And I can see that become a big burden for
0: our society down the road. So with those symptoms and with those patients, how confident are you that that is only from COVID and not because we live in Michigan and we don't get a whole lot of sunshine? So that's Good the question. depression. Right you know, with the current isolation that we have, the physical distancing that's contributing to that. So how, how did you tease that out? I think that is an excellent question.
2: But uh, this study, we started the data collection back in September last year. So that is before winter. So we still had a lot of nice weather at that time. Also, we have a, we train our research assistant, which is our MSU undergrad students we spent hours about each of the research system was trained for eight hours minimum to conduct, to do the data collection. And we did specifically training them saying those symptoms has to be COVID related. So those are perceived by the study participant. They believe this is COVID related symptoms.
1: Of the, of the 25% or so that, that weren't vaccinated in the study um, that you mentioned earlier, did you collect any data as to their perceived risk of uh, contracting severe symptoms? I, I guess what I'm getting at is so um, is at- that a barrier? is a misperception of what the risks
2: I see what you're saying. Yes, are. we did collect the data. It just, we haven't done any data analysis. We have collected quite a few, but that is part of the data we haven't looked at yet, yes. We'll
1: do it now, live on the air, Yeah, right okay. now. Show your math, show your work. <laughs> we'll put it on Instagram. Yes. yes.
2: <laughs> you can invite me back to answer oh, the follow-up You're questions.
1: a rotating guest.
2: Okay, that's great to know. You're so basically I the Ed McMahon there.
1: of this outfit. You <laughs> will always be here.
2: Then I will more prepare next <laughs> time. <laughs> so we do have the information on that. It's just we haven't really done any analysis yet. But actually, it's kind of interesting. I mean, seventy. F- when we look at who have, first of all, their vaccination status, does not really, why I say it's not really, I cannot provide the answer whether their vaccination is helping with long COVID or not is because, like I said before, this is a cohort of people. They got contracted COVID before vaccination made available to them.
0: That's good that you clarified that because I think we're in 2022 and it seems like we've been in this pandemic forever. Right.
2: But the good news is we have the plan to uh, start with the new cohort soon because the new cohort is going to represent those Delta variant and Omicron variant, and also everybody have access to vaccination. vaccination. So that new cohort is going to provide a lot of answer to us. So inviting me back when we start that part of the new cohort.
1: Uh, Like I said, you're stuck here. We'll we'll bring in some rations for you, but you can't leave the room. I'm happy to we be here. We need you here. Um, so th- this question we we didn't prep you for, but I would like to know, in your experience as a researcher, have you seen misinformation also impact research? We talk about implicit bias a lot in conducting scholarship. So um, obviously, without naming names. Um, Have you experienced um, that biasing research, and how do researchers try to control for that?
2: Okay. I can give you a quick example, actually. So the other day, we have an investigator team meeting, and just because in our this small study, the long COVID study, we have a second component. Basically, we just want to, how do you say that, test water? Mm -hmm. About the intervention. We are thinking about that might be helpful. Okay, so we do have some plan on in terms of in how do we manage the long COVID symptom. So that second component we build in is actually in our current study, we have used the symptom management toolkit, which is developed by Dr. Givens and Dr. Given. I think both of you are familiar with
0: our... Yeah, I think we know them. Yeah. Right, right.
2: Well, anyway, so that symptom management toolkit has been used, well-established and used in oncology populations. So we thought, you know, maybe we can revise that symptom management toolkit because it has been very successful in the oncology population. So Dr. Given did a lot of literature review and revised that symptom toolkits to make it more COVID-related. So the second component of our study is for those who have they feel like their symptom is already bothering them we offer the symptom management toolkit. so the follow up is very simple we basically want to know whether they would like to use that they were they using that when we offered to them how often do they use that are they think do they think that is helpful or whether or not they are going to continue in using that those four very simple symptom uh, questions to get a you know sense about whether it's worth our life to do that study. So we did some preliminary analysis. And the other day we have an investigator team meeting, and somebody was saying it'll be interested in knowing those who were not vaccinated, and whether or not maybe they are the person not interested in the symptom management toolkits, because that symptom management toolkit basically is providing to the patient, empower the patient and for them to self-management there, self-manage their own problem. So bias coming in. So we thought, well, you know, maybe those who are vaccinated versus not vaccinated, they have a different way of managing their symptoms. So we thought intuitively, so those who are not vaccinated probably is the one not interested in the toolkit. Guess what? We look at the data. A hundred percent of the uh, participants who are not vaccinated, they are interested in receiving the symptom mm-hmm. management toolkit. Oh. So that is a bias, mm-hmm. right, we are talking about. But how do we manage that? I have to say everybody has their own bias, including the researcher. I think the way to... Uh, to take the bias out of the science is really looking at the data, be truthful to the data. And, of course, somebody can argue, you know, data analysis can be manipulated, which is true. But a good science with a very rigorous design, I think, can
0: avoid those bias. I also think, too, knowing what your biases are and be able to check yourself. There's so much right now about vaccinated and unvaccinated and people that wear masks out in public and not wearing masks. And you already have like that emotional attachment to how you are going to react or not react. So I think part of that bias is really understanding what your own biases are and educating yourself on it. Like in this case, you know, look at the hard science, look at the data, look at the analysis. This is what you can't argue with this.
2: So I kind of want to tell you one things I learned from the study, which is surprising to me, is probably no surprise to most of the people is the mental health issue. Although I heard a lot, you know, it's everywhere. Let's say mental mental health, mental health. But in our study, the data really speak to that. And uh, in our study, we exclude those who are under receiving mental uh, the health uh, the care from mental health practitioner. It turned out that is our number one exclusion criteria. Although we exclude those who are most severe, but we still seeing depression and anxiety is the big problem in our data. So I have to say we underestimate. And like I said, you know, I like everybody, I hear that all the time but it's not registered to me until I really look at my heart data. And that is really a big issue. And those patients are saying they are seeing the mental health practitioner because of their COVID. So it's not because of something else.
0: Well, again, Dr. Wu, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and then sharing your research and what you've, analyzed so far with us we're privileged to have you here so thank you so much i am it's
2: my pleasure and i feel very honored thank you very much for before, inviting me before
1: we let you go two more hard hitting questions oh that's great favorite movie of all time and why
2: Ah, uh, you know legacy of the fall
1: uh, okay right, legends of the fall yeah right okay
2: Legend of the okay. Fall, well, that is a very old movie, but it's this is probably just jumping, well, okay.
1: All right, oh. I like that. Um, why? What, what so, yeah, why?
2: As you know, that was a long time ago movie uh-huh. and when I was very young, and I like breath Kids. Yeah, yeah, that fair. is the reason
1: why I like that movie. Okay, I think a lot of people would, would echo that sentiment. Um, second question, what song makes you dance?
2: That is a horrible one.
1: I thought it was a good one. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, well, stick around. You need to think about it. And when you come back, I'm going to ask you again.
2: Okay. I will find <laughs> my son to dance.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you
2: so much. You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Is This Normal, the Michigan State University College of Nursing podcast. We are your hosts, Dr. Jackie Eisler, and
1: I'm Dr. Patrick Crane.
0: And if you're interested in further information about the College of Nursing, our website is www.nursing.msu.edu. You can also find us on Twitter at Mich, nursing and on Instagram with the same handle, And if you learned anything at all, please remember to wash your hands.